Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Hello and welcome to a brand new Arseblog Arsecast right here on Arseblog.com. How's it going? How are you? How are you feeling? How's everything? How's everything hanging? Hopefully to the good side. It was Groundhog Day this week. Did you see that? The uh, the Groundhog decided that we were going to get six more weeks of winter. And I thought, you little fucking prick. As if that's what anybody needs right now. Six more weeks of winter? Come on. Shit is weird enough as it is without you adding to the grayness and the gloominess with more winter. I mean, there is, just generally speaking, a big Groundhog Day element to life at the moment. And I hope uh, wherever you are, you're you're dealing okay with it. I know it's more applicable to some people in some countries than it is to others. But, you know, it is something we're all having to deal with in one way or another. And I hope uh, I hope you're doing okay with it. I have to say, this week, uh, I don't want to say I'm struggling with it, because that sounds just maybe a little bit too melodramatic. I realize that in the grand scheme of things... Uh, I'm pretty lucky when it comes right down to it. There are a lot of people in worse situations than I'm in and I can work and, you know, I'm at home and, you know, it's not the greatest sacrifice in the world, is it, just to to stay at home. But there are also times where you just like to go somewhere, no? Do something. We're restricted to within five kilometers of our home and, you know, nothing is open in terms of, you know, uh, social activities. And, and this week, I think, for the first time really since all this started, I had a real hanging for just going to the pub and having a couple of pints and just sitting and people watching and talking and, you know, having a chat with the barman or whatever it might be, just to get out of the house and have a little bit of a change of scenery and and what have you. And I think in some ways, you know, the football is contributing to this sense of, of repetitiousness or whatever it might be, because... Generally speaking, when football was on, you could kind of tell what day of the week it was. You know, it was usually weekends. I know we had midweek fixtures and everything else, but there just seems to be a round of fixtures every day or a game every day at least. And it kind of blurs the... I don't know how to quite describe it in in the sense that in my mind's eye, I have a visualization of a week and how it's constructed and it's all blurred. It's all smushed together now. And the days are kind of the same. And you get up and you have breakfast and you walk the dogs and you do more work and you walk the dogs and blah, blah, blah. And you walk the dogs and, you know, you don't have the weekend to look forward to. There's nothing to bookend your week. Like every Friday evening, I used to have a game of five-a-side at seven o'clock, and it was a brilliant way just to sort of put to bed the Monday to Fridayness of the week. 
you knew when you were playing football on a Friday, um, you know, that was the end of that, you know, nominal working week. Of course, when uh, you're working with football, you're working at weekends very often and I'm not saying that's a bad thing. But, you know, just in terms of the Monday to Friday of life, you had these markers and they're now gone for me anyway. So it's 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 weird and it's been a bit strange this week. I feel like this week more than any any other week in the in the pandemic that it has kind of got to me or got on top of me or whatever. And I don't mean to say that I'm having a really hard time or anything like that. I don't want to belittle or demean the the, the genuine struggles that many people are going through, but I can't help longing for for precedented times. Do you know what I mean? It's been unprecedented, as everyone says in their emails, and surreal and weird. And I would like us, and I hope that we get there very soon, to get back to precedented times, when we kind of know what the fuck is going on and what we can do and where we can go and, and everything else. So wherever you are, whatever you're doing, however you're doing it, I hope you're feeling okay. It's not getting uh, too difficult for you guys out there. As ever, thank you for being here and thank you for... You know, thank you for uh, being along during this entire period, because uh, for me, as much as anything, Arsblog has been this this way of keeping myself grounded and structured in many ways. So, you know, the, the benefits to me of doing all the stuff that we do here on the site are, are considerable. So it wouldn't be uh, worth too much without all of you guys. So thank you very much indeed. Whew, okay. Um, yeah. I'm going to leave that in because normally what happens is I put the mic up, I start talking, I'm not quite sure where it's going to go and that just kind of came out. So uh, I'm going to leave it there. But we are obviously going to talk a lot of football. There's a lot going on. We had a, a midweek defeat to Wolves um, in which there were negatives, in which there were a lot of positives as well. So we're going to talk about where we are, how we might cope with this unbeaten run, uh, looking ahead to Aston Villa and all the rest. So with me, to do that, I'm delighted to welcome back to the show from Goal. It's Charles Watts. Hi, Charles. Hello, mate. How are you doing? Good to speak to you again. And you. Let's start with Wolves. And, you know, I think the, there was a common theme going around after the game in that a lot of people felt really frustrated and annoyed by what had happened, but not in the typical way that we've had this season in that, like, oh, Arsenal have lost again. We've been rubbish. There was a very sort of familiar feeling of like, oh, this is, I like being pissed off by a result because we actually played well and there was a lot to like about the first 45 minutes, et cetera, et cetera. So, you know, obviously losing and losing an unbeaten record, as short as it was, uh, is never good. But there were certainly a lot of positives for Mikel Arteta to take from that first 46 and a half minutes, more or less. Yeah, there were. It was it was absolutely the best performance of the season, I think, yeah. first half. I, I, had the, I had the tweet lined up, ready to hit <laughs> Publish uh, for a half-time whistle as soon as Bert Leno kicked that, took the goal kick. I was waiting to waiting to publish it, and you know, just saying best forty-five minutes of the season. It was really exciting to see mm. how how they played and how you've just seen the progress week in week out since Boxing Day, and it all seemed to culminate in that first forty-five minutes, which I just thought was fantastic. And then obviously, what happened happened, and it all changed. And um, but there was that feeling afterwards of, I mean, I was I was really frustrated at what happened, but. And it was more a case of not just for the red card and for the penalty, mm. but the fact that it was a game where everything was looking so good and then suddenly it all went pear shapes. And it was just really frustrating because, 
you just could see how they were on it and you could see how the, the players were gutted after I looked at Granit Xhaka at full time and honestly he looked like he'd lost a World Cup final you could see how much it affected him and um, Bukayo Saka as well because they knew how well it was going how well they were playing and then yeah. to lose that game and come away with nothing was just such a blow um, but I do think that there's so many positives to, for, to take I asked Mikel afterwards in a press conference and he, and he agreed and you know, there was. It wasn't that feeling of like you said before Christmas, where you're just coming away from another away game or mm. home game back then, thinking, "Oh, it's another defeat," and you know, we're, we're looking terrible. It was the exact polar opposite for me, and it was. I just hope that it's not going to knock confidence, and I don't think it will do, because I think you can take so much from that. The players can take from much from that. You can almost channel the frustration as well and turn it mm. into a good thing. So I don't think it will affect them too much and they will certainly be at Colney this week feeling fairly good about themselves despite losing. Yeah, it is different, isn't it? When you're going through that bad run, the 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 issue is like, how do we get out of it? How do we win games? You know, it becomes a, like a, um, not a vicious circle, but it's a self-perpetuating thing that you, you, you struggle and you continue to struggle and you don't know how you're going to get out of it. Whereas on this occasion, you... You just say, well, look, do what you did in the first 45 minutes. You know, uh, maybe keep switched on until the, the halftime whistle goes. That's maybe a, a lapse of concentration very slightly. But in terms of the way Arsenal were playing, the way they were playing football, chances creating, how, how dominant they were in the game. You know, people talk about Wolves as this really, you know, our record against them in recent times hasn't been great, but they talk about Wolves as being a very difficult team to play against. And I know they themselves are going through a particularly bad run of form and, and you know, it ended the other night with a win but you know to be that good against a team who many people have said are, are, are a difficult team to play against similarly Southampton you know in the last uh, the game obviously uh, sandwiched between that was the Manchester United game you know, the, there are real green shoots. There are signs of what Arteta is doing on the training ground, transmitting itself to the pitch and in the performances because he's always talked about working hard and working harder and doing this, doing that and the other. And it has always come off, but now it, it certainly is. So I think it might be easier for the players and for the manager to, to compartmentalize this as a blip, put it in a box and, and move on. Yeah, I think they do. And speaking of Mikel this morning at his press conference, you got the sense that's how, how he mm. is doing it. You know, he looked back on it, but he said that we've got to move on now. It's done and dusted. Yes, we're frustrated. Yes, we kind of feel a little bit hard done by in terms of how the decisions went. But you've got to put that to one side now and focus on Saturday. And mm. he got a very tough game on Saturday against the Villa side who, you know, turned up at the Emirates and rolled Arsenal over 3 0 not too long ago. So you can't, feel, you can't afford to feel sorry for yourself for too long, as much as we've all probably had that feeling since Tuesday night. and everyone's got their own opinion on what happened and how it happened. Um, but now that is, it's consigned history, isn't it? And you've got to focus on, on Saturday and continuing that good run of, that good run of form that Arsenal were on prior to Tuesday night and showed on Tuesday night that they, you know, they're playing that, that sort of style of football. So there's a lot to feel good about, I think. And it just feels, it's beginning to feel now that Arteta's vision is starting to take shape. I mean, we're nowhere near there yet, but mm. it's, I think the January window is massive for him getting those players out and away from the squad and away from Colney was huge. And that was always going to be the focus in January was to do that because I think everyone knew behind the scenes how important it was to get those players out now rather than wait until the summer. Um, and they've done that. And I think that's massive for, for Mikel and his squad management and just the general mood around the place. And it's just beginning to feel like more like his squad now. And I think he sort of looked two transfer windows down the line and it's, it's going to, I can just see where we're going to be mm. there and, um, you can see the football they're starting to play now. He's settled on the formation at last. It's four-two-three-one. Yeah. It feels like it's here to stay at the moment. There's not going to be chopping and changing. There's no back five. You know, 
4-3-3, anything like that. And yeah. They just look like a settled team now. And I think the move over for Pepe to the left had been really interesting. And um, I thought Tuesday night was the best I've seen him play, in, not just in terms of the goal, but yeah. just in terms of working for the team and winning the ball back. And you know, there's a hunger about him that I'm not sure I've really seen from Pepe um, since he's arrived. We've always seen flashes of quality time to time, but... Um, you know, he seems to have got the bit between his teeth now and, you know, Saka's just getting better by the game. Yeah. And Party and Jack are looking better and better in the central midfield. You know, that's a partnership that's building and defensively they've been solid. So mm. there's lots to feel good about. Let's talk about Pepe then for a minute because he's down my list, but things we're on and we might as well talk about him. And Arteta was pretty complimentary about him uh, today in his press conference when he was talking about the performances and not just what he was contributing from an attacking perspective, but obviously, you know, what he wants from players all over the pitch is a really important part of what uh, this manager uh, expects in terms of performance levels. Like, you know, if you're producing at one end and you're not necessarily doing it at the other end, you're going to have a problem. How much do you think in some ways Arsenal have been the architects of what has been up to now a relatively disappointing season for for Nicolas Pepe in that towards the end of last season he he really looked like he he clicked in terms of what Arteta wants you know the performance in the FA Cup final as we reference all all the time was was absolutely fantastic it was probably his most complete performance as an Arsenal player and it felt towards the end of the season that he had given himself a platform on which to build in the upcoming season and then we go out, and obviously, I'm not here to talk about Willian because I think everybody has said as much as needs to be said about Willian at this moment in time. But you know, the the way that we, uh, in some ways, perhaps derail Pepe by bringing in Willian, playing him consistently in his position, even when Willian wasn't playing that well. You know, it's got to be a bit of a dent to his confidence. Now, obviously, the player himself, when he plays, is the the master of what he can do on the pitch. At the same time, there are all these other factors with professional players. How how do, how valued do they feel? How much confidence do they feel from the coach when they go onto the pitch? You know, you you can have a, a brilliant player who's made to feel that small by a, a coach who doesn't rate him. You know. Uh, so if you're a good player and you don't feel that, it can become a bit of a struggle. And I think Pepe struggles in some way this season. He has to own some of it, of course. But I think Arsenal and the way they've managed this situation have to maybe hold their hands up and say, wasn't the best way to to get what you wanted from Pepe, if that's what it was. Whether it was like a competition thing, you know, to try and book him up, I don't quite know. No, I agree. I think the start of the season was not a good thing for Pepe. And like you said, he ended last year so well. The cup final was, you know, he's up, up to Tuesday night. I think it was his best performance for yeah. Arsenal, although that was over 90 minutes. And to then suddenly lose your place in the team at the start and then um, right at the start of the season mm. to, to new signing, it felt a bit harsh. And that would absolutely, no matter who you are, that's going to knock your confidence. And Pepe is known as, you know, he's he's not the most sort of expressive kind of character behind the scenes. Mm. He's quite a quiet guy. Um, he's very well liked, but he's not. He's you always kind of view him as someone who maybe has confidence issues and, and things like that. So I think that definitely knocked him out of his stride. There's no doubt about it, and it would to any player, really. And especially when the guy's coming in, take places, and playing well, and isn't really producing anything. Um, so that would knock his, his his confidence. And you kind of look at his stats. I mean, even so, his stats are pretty impressive this season. Mm. When um, um, admittedly, some of those are in the Europa League when you're playing, you know, really poor sides and Arsenal's 
opposition in the Europa League this season has been terrible. Um, so you'd hope someone like Pepe would sort of pack his, um, would, you know, knock up his assists and his goals in those sort of matches. But um, so I think they did contribute, like I said, to to his early struggles, but he does, he needs to do it himself as well, doesn't yeah. he? You can't just, you can't just focus it on that. And him coming in, he got his chance against Leeds, having spent that international break, calling for his chance. And he comes on and gets himself sent off the way he did. Yeah. That's not going to help him. No, that's fair <laughs> it, point. It, it really didn't help him. Um, and to be fair, Arteta actually brought him back in sooner than I thought he was going to after that. Cause I thought he might be on the naughty step for a fair while. After yeah, that. Yeah. And he's actually uh, used him a lot more than I thought he was going to. And, it's interesting how the, the move to the to the left, though, in recent weeks seems to have brought out more of him. More, mm. And none of us are really expecting that because he's so left-footed. He loves to cut inside, get on that left foot. So you kind of feel like moving out to the left was, wasn't was really an option for him. But he's really excelled there. He was great against Southampton. He was fantastic on um, Tuesday night as well. But it's, it's, it's his work ethic that he's putting in now. The tackling back, winning the ball, you know, the goal is goal, although it was all about his quality and the end product. He, he started that move by by winning it, pressing high, winning yeah. it, laying it off to Lacazette and sort of started it himself. And um, I think that's what really, really impressed Mikel. And like you said, when under Mikel, it's not just about what you're doing at one end of the pitch, it's about what you're doing all over the pitch and at the other end yeah. as well. And if you're not contributing at the back, then you're going to be in real trouble in an Arteta side. And he's certainly doing that now. And it's an interesting one though, because he got a Babiang back now. Yeah. Obviously. That that so is yeah. I mean that is that, that's the question. Yeah. yeah, I mean, look from everything that we've learned about Pepe in the the eighteen months or so that he's been here, it does seem as if you know when he's when he's on it, when he's playing well, and when he's feeling confident, that's when you need to really give him a run and and hope he can establish himself. It's not that he's going to score in every game, but you know when you're when you're feeling like part of the team and, and things are going for you. you, you've got to stay in it. I mean, I think the obvious or one of the obvious ways we could bring Aubameyang back into the team is also at, at centre forward as well. Lacazette looked a little off the pace, didn't he, against um, Wolves on Tuesday night, whether he was feeling the effects of the, the United game or the, the injury or whatever he might have picked up towards the end of the United game. You know, it's not quite as cut and dried as it might have been, like Aubameyang's back, Aubameyang's going to play on the left. You know, A, when Pepe's in that form, B, when Saka is in the form he's in on the right, you can't change him from there either. So it becomes maybe not quite an either or, but it's certainly a consideration if you want to bring Aubameyang back in, you do it for Lacazette rather than Pepe. Yeah, I don't know. You can't not play Pepe on Saturday. It would send out all the wrong messages. Mm. I think if you did that, I think he's absolutely nailed on to start that one um, and like you said if, if Aubrey is going to come in it's going to be in place of Lacquer I do worry though a little bit with that as well in terms of I think I, I agreed Lacquer was a little bit off it on on Tuesday night I still think Mikel got it wrong really making that substitution at half time I'm not sure Lacquer was the man to come off because it um, kind of killed the focal point in the attack at that point and I could see what he was doing and going for pace and obviously the fact that Wolves scored three minutes later didn't help and suddenly you're chasing no. the game yeah, you're not level anymore you're actually chasing it and that is that was an issue but um, yeah I do worry about Orba leading the line centrally in as the sort of central striker I've not really seen yet evidence that he does that as well as Laka 
Um, he does like it differently, look, though. I think that's the thing. He does it differently, yeah. you know, in that he's a he's get on the end of stuff, whereas Lacazette does tend to. I don't think it's fair to say that Aubameyang can't do those things, but I think you know if you're looking for somebody just to drop a little deeper in some of the combination play that we've seen with with Smith Rowe, with uh, with Saka, for example, it does seem to be a little more in Lacazette's wheelhouse. So it does yeah. maybe precipitate a slight change in in the way you might attack. Yeah, I just, I just still think we'll see Lacquer on Saturday. I think Orberg, what he's probably he had one training session, two training sessions at a wall, so he's had a couple mm. more, couple more now. Maybe you give you go with Lacquer one more, and then you make that decision after the Villa game. I think um, I'd be surprised to see Orberg come straight into starting eleven, but it's nice, nice option to have when you're debating yeah. who to play. You know, it's not too long ago that we were sitting here thinking, oh God, who's going to who's going to play where? They're all in terrible form, and now suddenly they're all playing well, all, mm. all in good form, and. Um, it was going to be an interesting challenge against Villa because we, how are they going to respond to last night's defeat when you know West Ham comfortably beat them at yeah. Villa Park and how are they going to respond to it? So there's two teams going into it on the back of disappointing defeats, kind of one on the back of a decent performance and the other on a, on the back of a poor performance. And so yeah, it's going to be a, it's going to be an interesting game, but it's just a shame that there's probably going to be a, a very inexperienced goalkeeper in goal for Arsenal, unfortunately, and um, that is a bit of a concern it is isn't it I mean let's go there again seeing as you've brought it up it's it's likely to be Alex Runis and Mikel Arteta saying that Matt Ryan hasn't even trained so it strikes me that if Ryan were out there on Saturday against Villa he's probably had the old needle in the wherever he needs it to get get him through a game which is never ideal you know and if a player hasn't trained he's not sharp etc etc it was interesting, wasn't it, to hear Arteta talk about uh, Runerson in the sense of, you know, his status in the squad, because people were saying, is it going to be strange that a goalkeeper you've left out of the Europa League squad is now going to be starting a game in the Premier League for you? Obviously, because Bern Leno is suspended for a game and, and Matt Ryan is probably injured. And he was saying, well, no, it's not strange. He knew his role when he arrived. And, you know, from what he's saying... Uh, it's basically that Runison is uh, planned to be the third choice goalkeeper. I think he was like an emergency second choice who they see as, you know, a, a third choice option as well. I think he said something along the lines of, you know, they had a plan for the goalkeepers that they couldn't quite pull off the plan. Uh, obviously, David Raya from from Brentford was the the guy that they wanted to to bring in to understudy uh, or provide competition to Bernd Leno. However, you want to, however uh, you want to look at that, and Runerson was going to be a third choice goalkeeper. So, you know, that's kind of where we are with with this guy. There aren't too many teams playing their third-choice goalkeepers in Premier League games, are there? I'm trying to think no, of one off the top it, of my head. I mean, there's the young guy at Liverpool, Cuevin Kelleher, who maybe started the season as third-choice there and has, has bumped his way up in the pecking order. But it is going to be uh, a bit of a challenge um, from a defensive perspective uh, against a good Villa side if Runerson is in there. Well, it is. If, if you're judging it on the performances in the Europa League that he's turned out, it's, it is a big concern to, to his credit I thought he mm. actually did well against Wolves he did yeah, yeah. I, I was I mean, really that. worried then especially given it was absolutely lashing it down and it was pretty much the worst conditions you mm. could get for a goalkeeper um, and the way he came into the game after you know 
not expecting it suddenly being thrown in. It was, I was a bit worried. I thought Wolves were going to be taking pot shots from everywhere and testing them out. And they did have a couple, but he, he coped with it well. One mm. could save his hands, one could save his legs. Um, and so credit to him for that. But I do worry about him in the 90 minutes. From what I've seen from him this season, there's nothing to suggest he really is Arsenal quality. And um, so that is a little bit of a concern. I suspect they'll do all they can to get Matt Ryan fit. But if it is absolutely impossible, obviously it's going to have to be Alex. And it's a big di- it's a big game for him. It is odd coming in the week that you've been left out of the Europa League. Yeah. That's not exactly the ideal confidence booster, is it, for you? But as Mikel said, I mean, he he knew when he came here, he was coming as number three. Arsenal messed well, they didn't mess up. That's a bit harsh, but they didn't get the deal done that they wanted for, for Raya at Brentford. And they're probably going to have to wait till the summer to try and move on with that one again. And so they've had to go with Renison at number two. And um, they needed to do something in January. I thought it was probably the most essential bit of transfer business they could do was getting an experienced mm. cover for Leno. So they managed to do that. It's just a typical Arsenal. <laughs> that once you do that, yeah. you get the guy goes and gets himself injured in training. Um, and then Leno gets himself sent off and suddenly you've got Renison in go anyway. So uh, yeah, it's classic Arsenal. I feel from that Ryan, because this might be his only opportunity he's only here to the end of the season he's an Arsenal fan he suddenly he comes he wants to get a game and um, he gets his opportunity and he gets injured as well so I feel I do feel for Ryan in all of this as well yeah do we know exactly what the injury is I think it was it a hip, hip injury or a hip injury yeah but we don't know exactly how bad it is but the fact he's not been training doesn't sort of fill you with, with confidence like you say they might just stick a needle in him and try and get him through but um, if you can't feel your hip for 90 minutes, it's yeah. not, it's not, not ideal. ideal. For <laughs> no, for sure. For sure. Um, just finally, on a, on a player perspective, Kieran Tierney's going to be out, uh, it looks like, for the weekend. Um, were you in any way concerned about the the lack of a left-back arrival? Arteta said something along the lines of, look, we can't do everything in one window, and they did a lot yeah. in this particular window. Obviously, most of it was was outward, um, but they did address the goalkeeper situation. They obviously got Martin Odegaard in, which is a, a fantastic signing. We'll have to wait and see if he starts. But, you know, in terms of left-back cover, we're a bit light Um Kieran Tierney I think what's interesting about this game against Villa is like you can you can give it a real push you know in in, in terms of the physical effort because we've got a week until the next fixture and it's probably the last time for a couple of months uh, that we don't uh, have a midweek fixture or you're not on that sort of three four day or game every three or four days kind of schedule so there is you know the possibility to to maybe ask people to to really give it a bash for this weekend and then get everyone fit, give them some rest days and uh, lots of massages ahead of what's going to be a busy schedule. But but Tierney, I don't think is going to make it this weekend. Um, so you know, was that was that a worry, or were you disappointed, or is there you know realistically how much business can you do in one month? Yeah, I mean they did an awful lot. They, I think ideally they would have got they would have got someone. I think we all kind of mm. know that they're a little bit short of that, especially having let Ainsley go. But they do have. I mean, I think Cedric's been playing really, really well. I thought he was good on Tuesday night again, especially against a winger like Traore. I thought he did very well playing out of position. And obviously you've got the Sacker option, mm. which isn't ideal. You'd rather no. him playing in the front three, but if you have to, you can play Saka there and you've still got quality in, to come in up front, you know, on the wide right or wide, wide left to sort of negate the fact that Saka's not there. So I think when you're looking at that and you've only got four months till the end of the season, it's probably just about enough pr- as long as Tierney isn't, you know, out for mm. three or four months. 
So I can understand that if they couldn't find the right deal in January, you're not going to do it just for the sake of it. You're going to think, yeah. oh, well, I'll tell you what, we'll, we'll wait till the summer and have a proper look. I know they do like Ryan Bertrand at Southampton and there is interest in him and he's out of contract in the summer and Southampton just weren't going to let him go even for whatever money this January because they they just felt it was too important mm. to get him through to the end of they the season. They learned their they, lesson with Cedric last January. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and and so there, I, I can understand them not doing it. If they yeah. want to explore other options in, in the summer, I'm sure they will, and they will look to bring in some proper cover for Tierney. But um, I'm not sure we can really criticise them for the work they did in January because they had so much. I think it was nine sort of senior transactions done. Mm. Admittedly, most of them were outgoings, but it still takes up an awful amount of your time and, there's just not much money swilling around and you bring in Ryan, you bring in Odegaard, albeit both on loan. It's, mm. it's pretty decent business. So yeah, it's a little bit disappointing. It's probably left them. That's the one area of the squad. They're maybe lacking a little bit, but still, a, it's still a decent window. They've done mm. a lot of good work. Yeah. And I think as James said on the Arscast Extra, they did it, you know, without the addition of that sort of extra piece of the football executive uh, structure, the, the sort of Husfami role that we know Richard Garlick is going to come in and take over to do that. So there was probably a fairly hefty workload on, on Edu in particular um, and Mikel Arteta to an extent as well. Yeah. I think Edu's done all right, uh, to be fair to him, because um, I still kind of, I'm still not sure how I view Edu at the moment. Yeah. Um, I think that's I fair. I, I absolutely didn't agree with his, what he did with the scouting network. I just felt that was really odd. Mm. And, um, and yeah, I'm still, I'm, I still don't quite understand why he's done that. I know he, he's explained why he's done it, but that still doesn't ring me, fill me with much confidence what he had to say about his reasons for but the, doing it. The, the proof um, of that pudding will be in what happens in terms of recruitment in, in the coming windows, won't it? I mean, yeah. you can say it and we can be skeptical and I think it's, it's reasonable to be skeptical, but we're not going to know one way or the other until such time as they get a couple of windows under their belt and we see, like, who are they identifying? Who are the players that they're bringing in? How are they finding them? What are the profiles of these players? Like, if you're letting all your scouts go and then the best you can come up with, you know, with all due respect to the guy is Ryan Bertrand. I'm not saying, you know, that, that's a, that's you know that's not going to yeah. convince anyone is it it's it's really what you do i mean maybe in some ways uh, the the odegaard thing is is uh, uh how will i put this a sort of tick in edu's box if you like in that that was a, a deal nobody really thought would have been possible for Arsenal in this window, but they made it happen. Uh, you know, whatever connections have, have brought that about, you know, that that's impressive in itself. Yeah, no, that was a good deal to get done. And mm. to do that in January as well, isn't it? It's, it's a very, very impressive deal to get done. Um, I agree. I think we're going to wait, have to wait a couple more windows to see how it really pans out because even look at this summer's window, you know, they were still signings at the scouting network that he'd just booted out, had set up for him mm. already really, you know, Thomas Party and Gabriel, that had all been, you know, those all way down the line and um, the people who lost their jobs were really responsible for getting those moves set up and mm. um, sort of underway sort of one, two years earlier with, with talks, especially with Thomas Party. I mean, that went back yeah. a long way with Francis. So, um, yeah, it'll be interesting to see how it pans out in the next couple of windows. So uh, that's what that's what I'm, kind of how I started it all off. Although I was a bit sceptical of Edu and what he'd done so far, I thought this January he deserved credit for because it was a really difficult window for Arsenal to navigate and there was a lot of tough decisions, quite ruthless decisions to be made. Mm. And Arsenal haven't really done that before. They've perhaps not been ruthless when they should have been. And yes, there's only sort of five, six months to go. And yes, Arsenal have had to pay players to leave basically in the end, end, at the end of the day. But 
I felt like they needed to do that and they went out there and they found a way of doing it. And so I think Eddie certainly deserves a lot of credit for the for the work he put in during January. How much of what they do from now on has to be informed by the mess that they've just cleaned up, if you like, in terms of contractual situations, players of a certain age being given contracts which make them very difficult to move? Uh, you know, because, you know, at the end of the day, Regardless of how you view the stature of Arsenal, um, and certainly the, you know, the, the star has fallen a little bit. It is a big club. And in, you know, when it comes to wages, you can offer more than most clubs, generally speaking, which is good when you want to attract players, not so good when you want to move them on because, you know, who's going to leave a hundred thousand pound a week job to go? Uh, to a £40,000 a week job. I mean, look, that'd be easy for me and you to decide, but as a professional footballer, that's a consideration. And, you know, contractual situations that they have to deal with come this summer with, you know, the likes of Lacazette, with the likes of Enkedia, guys who are two years out. We we heard about this when Raul Sanyei was in charge. And, you know, it was about one of the only things I liked about his time at the club was when he said, you know, we have to make decisions two years out on players because we either renew them or we sell them. So between uh, Edu, Arteta, Richard Garlick and, and the, you know, the owners and whatever executive board structure is there, they have to learn lessons from where we've ended up and what they've had to do, uh, whether that Bank of England loan was uh, there just to pay off these players or, or deal with other cash flow problems. I can't say 100%, but, you know, you take this loan and then all of a sudden you're paying off Ozil, you're paying off Socrates, you're paying off Mustafi, you know, two and two, et cetera, et cetera. But they have to surely strategize in a big way about how they manage their squad, you know, incomings, outcomings, contracts, who gets an extension, who doesn't, difficult decisions that sometimes you might have to make when it comes to letting a player go, perhaps before they become, I don't want to say useless, but you know what I mean? Think about someone like Robin Van Persie. And just uh, uh, as an example, he's a player who would have been still very useful to Arsenal for a year and a half, but maybe if you were long-term strategizing, you would say that was the time to sell him because you could raise money for him and reinvest in the squad. Not that it was a popular decision, but but just in 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 how you generate funds to reinvest in your squad. Yeah, and they absolutely have to get better about that. You, it's been terrible for so long. Mm. So long. You look back at the players. I mean, the players just they've released now, and you know, Erzul, Socrates, Mustafi. What's that? 80, 100 million on those three players they spent to bring in? All of them gone for free. Mm. You know, not, and without, well, I think Ozil signed a new contract during that time, um, but the others didn't. So in the space of one contract, they've gone from that money spent, 55 mm. million Socrates and Masafi, and they've let them go for free, or they've paid for them to leave, mm. you know, before they've even, started, you know, that was on the same contract. So it's been terrible. You go back to Sanchez, Cazorla, Welbeck, I mean, Wilshire, in, Ramsey, yeah. In the last sort of seven, eight years, the players that they've they've not got any money for mm. is just staggering. And you can't build squads like that. You can't. In um, you know, no wonder your your star's going to fall. Like you said at the start, if you just if you run your business like that and you don't bring in more money to invest in a team, and when you're a self sustainable club like Arsenal and you haven't got someone who's just going to plough their own money into 
make these transfers happen. You need to sell as well as you buy. And yeah. Arsenal have sold terribly for too long now. But I think this, the situation with football at the moment is really difficult. I don't think it's just Arsenal is struggling with this in terms of contracts and things. I think Arsenal used to say it all the time, how it was going to get tougher and tougher with players and more players were just going to see out their contracts, wait, not sign, not commit, and then see what happened at the end. And mm. I think we are seeing that now. So it is very difficult to get these things done. But having said that, you still got to get better. I thought it was quite interesting when Sonia said that the whole, um, you know, we'll wait, we'll either sell him or um, sign a new contract with two years to go. It was great when he said it, but in truth, it, they didn't put that into practice no. at all. No, they <laughs> so didn't do any they of it. Found it very difficult to actually do that. Yeah, and um, so I think it is going to be it's going to be very difficult still, and it's going to continue to as as fo- more and more footballers decide to wait and see what their options are. But they they have to. They've got some big decisions to make, like you said. I think mm. Lacazette's a key one for me. I, I think you've got to move Lacazette on this this summer yeah. and reinvest, bring in a younger striker, and sort of build again um, with the forwards. Because what's, you can't really give Lacazette a new contract now. If you do that, you're basically getting yourself into another situation that we've seen with these mm. with some of these players. And you, there's no way that there's better to come from Lacazette. We've seen the best of Lacazette at Arsenal. I think is is only going to go one way from here, really. So. Mm. I think you've got to try and find a way of getting some money for him that you can invest in a younger striker who you can kind of try and mould into the player you want, that Arteta wants over the next two, three years. I think they will do that as well. The Inketia situation is an interesting one because although I've yet to see anything from Eddie to suggest he is going to go on and be a huge success at Arsenal, I think you've got a very valuable asset there because he's English, he's young, he scores goals, he's scored goals in the Premier League, he's England under 21's top goal scorer. And you look at mm. Ryan Brewster went for 25 million last summer. So what should Eddie be worth really? So you, you kind of got to protect your asset there for me and try and get something done with Eddie, even if it is just with a view to selling him another year down the line. And, um, you know, it looks like we're going to lose Balogun, which is a shame. Um, and so if you suddenly, if you lose Lacazette and you lose Balogun this summer, you're basically looking at your two strikers as Eddie and, um, and Orba and perhaps Martinelli, if you see him as a central striker. So the, they've got some things they really need to sort out with the forwards. And mm. I think that's got to be one of the most pressing needs this summer. Um, and Gwendouzi, you know, there's loads of situations for contracts. He's going to Torreira, be a year left now. player who five months into his Arsenal contract, you thought it was probably going to be worth 50, 60 million pounds. And now you're suddenly facing up to the prospect of losing him a couple of years later for next to nothing. And yeah. it's a shame how that one's all panned out. Yeah, they have plenty to do uh, when it comes to the transfer market. But that's the summer, and maybe we're getting ahead of ourselves a little bit here. Just finally, I wanted to talk to you about discipline or indiscipline, however way you want to put it. Um, since he took over, Mikel Arteta has had nine red cards. I, I do think in some ways there's a legacy issue in that I, I kind of felt like in the Wenger years, Arsenal were an easy club for referees to give red cards to. And I'm not espousing any kind of refereeing conspiracy theories here or anything like that, uh, apart from Mike Riley at Old Trafford uh, for the 50th game, which, of course, was uh, corrupt. And Robin van Persie at uh, Barcelona. But I don't think that was as much anti-Arsenal as it was pro-Barcelona. I think it could have been anyone. But that's leaving my conspiracy theories to one side. We have some issues with discipline and indiscipline and red cards. And, you know, we've had five red cards 
in the Premier League this season. They've come in four games. Obviously, two of them were the other night against Wolves. In those four games, Arsenal have taken two points. So, you know, that's a lot of points dropped, particularly when you look at the Wolves game and you think if that goes in 11 versus 11, Arsenal 1-0 up at halftime. They build on that. I think we win that game. We go on, you know, Burnley, uh, Granit Xhaka, the, the incident there, you know. It is a big issue for Mikel Arteta to to sort out. Yet at the same time, I don't see this as a particularly dirty or cynical Arsenal team. The Pepe one was stupid. The Xhaka one was stupid. But I think the rest have been kind of... um, yeah, not necessarily dirty. There have been some situations that we've gotten ourselves into defensively which have contributed to those. So how does he how does he get on top of this? Because it is uh, a feature of his reign. You know, you could say if he's had two or three yellow cards, it could be, you know, it's a, it's a peripheral issue. When you've had nine in a year, basically, you've got a, a problem that you need to sort out. You do, and he kind of admitted that today. It's, it's mad to think. In that space that they've got nine, that's six more than any other Premier League club. I mean, that's staggering, that absolutely staggering statistic. But you look back at those nine, I can't think of one bad tackle in any of those. Maybe Aubameyang against Palace, but even that was a bit late. That was the only one I can think of. But then you've seen those ones time and time again since then go to VAR and not get sent off, players not get sent off. So when it's all freeze frame like that... um, because I was there at Palace that game and at the time you didn't think it was a bad tackle at all. It was just he was a little bit late, obviously. Um, And it does feel like they are a little bit hard done. You've got to remember Smith Rowe got sent off as well and luckily that one got overturned as well. So you'd have another one. And again, that was for a nothing tackle which kind of you see week in, week out. I mean, Bruno against Arsenal the other day for Man United and it does feel like they are being singled out a little bit. I think that... um, some of the decisions are certainly going against them, but I agree. It's not some big conspiracy theory that the referees aren't getting together and deciding we're going to yeah. we're going to do what, do Arsenal over. It's not like that, but it just seems to be they, like you said, is if there is just this feeling in referees' head that they are slightly easier targets to, mm. to punish than than others, and that's what's happening. But they do have to sort it out because, like you said, you, you'd think of what the league table might look like if they hadn't had these red cards this season. They absolutely would have won on Tuesday night. They would have beaten Burnley. They were it was. You know that that sort of ten minutes after half time, just mm. before Jack got sent off, they were all over Burnley. The goal was coming; you yeah. could sense it. It was coming, and they were going to win that game. They ended up losing. Even Leeds, I think, although Leeds were playing really well, Arsenal had kind of they got themselves into that game, and I really fancied them in the last half an hour at Ellen Road. They even nearly won it without um, Pepe when Saka went through, and so they've absolutely chucked points away because of it. And so he does need to sort it out. He needs to. Mm. How you do it though, when a lot of the things aren't it's not like they're flying in two-footed or yes you can cut out the Xhaka and the Pepe ones and you can say look you, you absolutely can't do that again you find them whatever and drum it into the squad that you can't do that again but in terms of some, some of the other ones I suppose one of the ways is not <laughs> not starting David Louise. I was just going to ask you <laughs> because when he's he's, he's uh, I think he's been culpable for a third of the red cards, and they yeah. all seem to be the exact same ones as well. That is one way, and that is one way of drastically reducing your red card count. Is not uh, well, yeah. <laughs> I was going to. I mean, that was my next question. It's here, David Louise, and uh, you know, there's an appeal, and Mikel Arteta was confident that the appeal might be successful, but then you. Then you've got to ask, well, can you take the risk of playing him? Because I think, look, I, I, I'm not one to defend David Luiz's um, defensive missteps. Um, 
I think in part the reason he got sent off against Wolves was because he he pushed up too too high up the pitch um, when he could have just dropped off and, and let the guy come at him. But I think he was unlucky to be sent off for the no challenge, really. You know, it was just an accidental collision and I do think he was unlucky there. However, you cannot ignore the fact that he has had three red cards. You can't ignore the fact that he's given away... He gave away a record number of penalties last season as an Arsenal player. So he is this... this He's high risk. Mm. You know, he's a high risk player. Like when he's good, he's good. And the, the stories about him on the training ground and, you know, what a good influence he is around, um, particularly for the, for the young players. I think they, they all like him and respect him as a, as a footballer. And he's, he gives them lots of time and all those things, which is great. But when you've got a track record like he has, it's, um, it's a big risk for a manager to 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 put him in. Like, if I were Mikel Arteta, as as much as Arteta defends Louise and talks up the positives about him, as he does with most of his players, in fairness, I'd be shitting it, picking yeah. him because you just you just do not know when the bomb is going to go off. You know what I mean? Yeah, I think he was he was very unlucky on Tuesday night. I agree. I'm not absolving of, any, of him of all blame because there's mm. no way he could have gone bombing forward and left his position the way he did in the last seconds of the first half. You just stick next to Rob Holding, make sure you're yeah. not leaving any gaps and wait for the referee to blow the whistle. Why Why he decided to go legging it off and chasing the ball, I have no idea. So he's certainly t- to blame for getting himself in that position, but I don't... I, I, it's never a red card. I don't know mm. how you can get sent off for the other player kicking you when you're running and making no attempt yeah. to challenge for the ball. I just think that's incredibly hard. And in, in defence of Mikel as well, I don't think ideally at the start of the season he would have been sitting there now thinking he was going to be playing David Luiz in, in January. I think mm. the reason he's playing at the moment is that A, Gabriel had suddenly, who played so well at the start of the season, had a few, he had the injury issues, he then got COVID, he came back, he looked very shaky. Like I wouldn't have been confident playing um, Gabriel after his performance in the FA Cup against Southampton. Mm. I thought he looked all over the shop. So, And he started to look a little bit shaky before he got the injury as well. So... I can understand he's maybe having a little bit of a breather after that good three months. And then Mary was in the team and playing really well with holding. Then Mary got the injury. So Louise has kind of come back in because of others yeah. that had to drop out. And then to be fair to him, he's been playing really well. He's man of the match against United. So he was always going to start at Wolves, I think. Um, and he's just, he's like, he's like, he's kind of like Granit Xhaka in a way. He kind of, you can't, you don't, you can't get rid of him. He, he keeps coming back <laughs> into the team. You, you think that's the end of it. And then suddenly he's back in the team and playing well again. And yeah. he's, kind of deserving of his place in the team, just like Jacker at the moment, who I think is playing the best football he's almost ever played at Arsenal. And, um, but I think this will be the last few months we see Louise obviously out of contract in the summer. Um, you don't see uh, an, an I, extension? I, would be, I wouldn't totally rule it out because I know how much Mikel likes him and I know how popular he is and how much the young players like him and how much of a role model is. So I wouldn't totally rule it out, but I kind of feel like Arsenal wouldn't give him another two years and at his age he'll be looking for a two-year deal somewhere. I, mm. I can see him ending up back at Benfica next next season, kind of seeing out his playing days over there. So I would be surprised if he signs a new Arsenal contract. Um, but yeah, in terms of him at the moment and making mistakes, he, yes, he's back in the team, but I do kind of feel like that's mainly because of yeah. injuries and selection issues that he's suddenly turned up 
back in the team again. All right. No, I do. I do agree with that. I think we had started to see the move away from him. He went through a period where he didn't play a great deal. Um, it'll be very interesting to see if he is available for the game against Villa, if he plays or not. Um, I can't you know. see they're going to win that appeal. I think. I, mean, I was actually looking at my phone then because you yeah. reminded me. I think we were supposed to hear fairly soon. We haven't had a message yet, right, um, about it. But I'd be very surprised because the, the, the FA would basically be then admitting that the referee's wrong and VAR's wrong. I just can't. I, it feels. It feels like one that Arsenal aren't going to win. They might reduce the... Oh, well, they can't reduce the ban. It's only one game, yeah. So, um, okay, well, look, I mean, that might say Mikel Arteta decision and the rest of us some some nails uh, as we bite them when we face uh, face Villa on Saturday. We'll keep fingers crossed for that one. Uh, Charles, it's ever great to talk to you. Thanks a million. Thanks a lot, mate. Speak to you soon. All right. Well, uh, we're literally just thirty seconds after we finished that recording and saying goodbye. The uh, the judgment has come in on David Luiz, Charles. Yes, it has, and the red card will stand. He uh, so means he will be suspended. Uh, I'm just opening up to see if Arsenal actually announced written any sort of statement. Just says we have worked really hard to overturn David Luiz's red card. We presented our case to the FA, but disappointed that our appeal has been unsuccessful. We accept the FA's decision and continue our preparations for Saturday's match against Villa. Okay. Like I said, it felt like a difficult one for mm. them to win, just because the FA were basically going to be admitting not just one, but a couple of Shaw's got it wrong. So yeah, I'm not surprised. No, well, they're not exactly well known for holding their hands up and <laughs> admitting they got things wrong. So um, yeah. all right, <laughs> all right. Uh, this is goodbye again. Thank you, Charles. Thanks, mate. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Thank you very much indeed to Charles. You can find him on Twitter. He is at Charles underscore Watts, at Charles underscore Watts. And of course, he does his writing about Arsenal for goal.com. Just mentioned David Luiz there. And look, the appeal was unsuccessful, so he won't be available for Arsenal. And we, I think, um, however you want to look at it, can understand why that decision was made. However... In that context, it's a bit difficult to understand why the red card appeal for uh, from Southampton for the red card given to Jan Bednarek uh, for his sending off against Manchester United the other night, their appeal was successful. Pretty much the same uh, incident in the sense that it was, you know, denying a goal-scoring opportunity. 
They've obviously looked at the videos of the two incidents and and seen things that we cannot see with our mere mortal eyes, our, our non-FAIs. They have seen a difference. Uh, I'd love for them to explain it. I don't hold out much hope that they will. But nevertheless, we have to get on with it. We have to deal with the uh, absence of David Luiz for the trip to Aston Villa. And like I said on the Arscast Extra on Wednesday after the Wolves game, if I'm Mikel Arteta and his coaching staff, I'm absolutely using what happened against Wolves to sort of foster a, a, a not quite a siege mentality, but you know what I mean, something along those lines. Uh, they feel, and certainly some of the players uh, made it obvious that they felt the decision to send their teammate off was the wrong one, or certainly harsh. So if they feel that way and they were frustrated enough to make it clear on their social media channels, I'm pretty sure they're going to be frustrated by the decision not to uphold the appeal. So Mikel Arteta has got plenty to uh, to work on and plenty to work with for a trip to Villa. It is going to be a very difficult game. As we know, they're a good side. They've got good players. Uh, they've hurt us. They've beaten us so far this season. But as a way of fostering a kind of togetherness in the squad and unity and a fighting spirit and all of those intangible things that you know don't come in any coaching manuals per se or you can't measure them but that's certainly something that I will be working on if I were Mikel Arteta there are other reasons why this game will be won if Arsenal can win it the uh, the individual performances, the collective performance, the tactics, all of those things are far more important. But if you can add a little extra one or two percent by getting everyone together and giving a kind of, you know, a really good uplifting kind of team talk. The inches we need are everywhere around us. We don't need inches, but you know what I mean. So if it's something that he can use to get more out of his players, to inspire them, to to just give that little bit extra that might get us the points at Aston Villa, then absolutely 100% use it. Use every bit at your disposal to get the maximum out of your team. And hopefully we can uh, respond to the midweek disappointment and hopefully take all three points. For more on the Villa game, more previewing of the opposition and the rest, you can join us on Patreon. We'll have have a Patreon podcast today. Friday, we will have a preview podcast for Patreon members. You can sign up if you like, patreon.com forward slash arseblog. James and I will be here on Monday with an Arsecast Extra. Hopefully, we're talking about an Arsenal win. Hopefully, it's a goodly morning. So please join us for that. In the meantime, have yourselves a great weekend. I'll catch you on the next one. Until then, cheers. Bye-bye. It's a red card for David Luiz. Then put your little hand in mine. There ain't no yellow. It's a red card for David Luiz. Then put your little hand in mine. There ain't no yellow mountain we can't climb.
is a red card for David Luiz. Then put your little hand in mine. This is a red card for David Luiz. Then put your little hand in mine. There ain't no yellow. This is a red card for David Luiz. Then put your This is a red card for David Luiz. Then put your little hand in mine. This is a red card for David Luiz. Then put your little hand in mine. There ain't no yellow. This is a red card for David Luiz. Then put your little hand in mine. There ain't no yellow. We can't fly.